0: From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Robin Curry.
1: And I'm Lauren Carter, and we'll be your hosts for the next half hour of environmental news. This week, we're talking climate change mitigation and adaptation. Whereas mitigation refers to actions taken to prevent climate change, adaptation refers to actions taken to moderate potential damages or to benefit from opportunities associated with climate change.
0: This week we have an interview about how municipalities are taking leadership in
1: climate mitigation while also making
0: strides for adaptation.
1: And we have a story about how the healthcare industry can mitigate its contribution to climate change.
0: In light of the United States pulling out of the Paris Agreement and the striking response from municipalities in adopting the Paris Agreement on their own, we thought that we would explore how municipalities can push for action and plan how to adapt to climate change. Amanda Rooney and Charlie Blaise sat down with Danielle Koliak. Danielle is an environmental project manager with the city of Edmonton. They spoke with her about Edmonton's newly developing climate change adaptation and resilience strategy and about the power that local leaders and municipalities have in addressing climate change issues.
2: Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, it's It's the same perspective. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah, because you're just like, oh, it's just (laughs) grass.
3: like, No, they have such beautiful rooms, and yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sorry, I totally so got a soft topic. <laughs> no, no, it's awesome. <laughs> it's, yeah, when I lived in southern Alberta, I was always like, Oh, you have to protect the native prairie.
4: In light of Donald Trump pulling the United States out of the um Paris Agreement, mm-hmm. um, there were a lot of mayors that like came together to kind of say hey like the US we as a country as a whole have pulled out of the um, Paris Agreement but we as cities are going to stick to the promises that we made in the Paris Agreements to um, take action to kind of mitigate climate change um, and so then that kind of got us thinking about like what kind of action and can be taken within like cities and what, what the impacts of Uh, local movements and um, actions can kind of like look like.
3: So I'm Danielle Koliak, and I'm an environmental project manager with the city of Edmonton. So I'm in a small group. We're called City Environmental Strategies, and we work on a bunch of different environmental policy and management type issues, one of them being climate change. So in our group, we have people that work on um, our energy transition strategy, which is more about the climate change mitigation. How can we reduce our greenhouse gas emissions? And then my team is leading the development of a climate change adaptation and resilience strategy. So, you know, knowing that there's emissions in the atmosphere that, you know, will still be there. How do we actually prepare and adapt our city to the possible realities of a changing climate?
4: That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's really I, cool. didn't, I didn't wow. actually know that we had,
3: I didn't know we so, had anything like that. Well, we are just kind of in the initial stages of that strategy. And cool. so I guess I should say that later on this year or early in 2018, we'll be doing kind of a broader public engagement on that strategy development. Right now, it's really um, subject matter expert led at the, at the moment.
4: Um, So what do you think um, the significance is of the 247 mayors adopting the Paris Agreement uh, like after Trump pulled the U.S. out?
3: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, just speaking as a project manager, I guess I think it's very significant. I think it shows that those local leaders kind of realize the importance and significance of climate change and climate change actions and that... You know, climate change is a global issue, but it affects different places in different ways, and it very much affects local people. And so, you know, with especially with cities that are seeing, actually seeing climate change firsthand, like more storm surges, such as Hurricane Sandy in New York, I think that, you know, it shows that these local leaders are really, you know, wanting to take action on that. And I think it's a very positive thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: Absolutely. So on that note, uh, what role do you think cities play in climate mitigation?
3: So I can't speak too much to the like legislative powers, I guess, that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, this is not my area of expertise. But I think one of the big things that cities can play is really to try to encourage their citizens to take action and behavior changes. Um, Even you know like really reminding people that every action really does count even if it seems small. All the actions we take individually and collectively are important so you know trying to encourage and create an environment that better helps people to say take active transportation as opposed to driving or energy efficiency programs that sort of thing and then internally I think um, to a city as a corporation, an organization, our cities can really lead by example, too, by, you know, doing sustainable building policies for their civic buildings and encouraging, you know, their employees to, you know, bike to meetings, for example. Like, just those kind of actions, too, I think. And I think that they are a lot more significant than people necessarily realize that small actions do make a big difference.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, Absolutely.
4: So do you think that localized movements... Um for action on climate change can kind of affect the perception of the issue by the general public?
3: I would like to think so, yeah, uh, I think so. I know that we've done a bit of research on perception and that the majority of Edmontonians actually that participated in our survey were in the um, alarmed or concerned categories about climate change, and so I think that shows that, you know, we should be talking about climate change and let people know that you know they're not alone if they're thinking about it or worried about it and what you know and then also providing the tools i guess of like what can we what can we do to maybe help i suppose mm-hmm. so i i do think that local action can impact perceptions
4: yeah yeah i, I was I kind of thinking so. for myself like i don't know when your city's advocating for it it brings it a little closer to home like the the stakes are a little mm. higher when you realize like Oh, like your city could be impacted and maybe not so so much in Edmonton as in like other like coastal cities.
3: Yeah and even things you know like clean air and like the economy right things that people do think about every day and it's like climate change can maybe affect those things for good or for bad right there's risks and opportunities.
2: Yeah I guess like on that note uh, what do you think like are some kinds of actions that people can get involved with on a local level in terms of the
3: environment? Some of the things I suppose that we can, that I guess is coming out of our energy transition strategy, is um, so there's certain things that maybe aren't so much citizens, but we're doing you know a big large scale large building energy disclosure to make people aware and kind of that, you know let's see benchmark ourselves against other places. Um, there's a lot of energy efficiency things people can do for their homes. And there's a lot of programs right now under the province and. Uh, I just want to make a plug as well to stay tuned for a an um program that might be rolling out soon with the city. So that's another thing that citizens will be able to tap into as well. Wait, sorry. Um, I want to interrupt you for one second. what's, yeah. wait, what's an EnerGuide? So do you know guide labels like on your washing machine oh, yeah. and your dryer? And that's yeah. how you like the energy rating. So you can actually get that for your entire home as well. Oh, and then cool. you can, you know, know where, you know, maybe, oh, I need to – double pane my windows that kind of stuff it's Mm. definitely more geared for you know homeowners than renters but at the same Mm -hmm. time it's still you know like I think um heating our our energy use in our buildings actually contributes it's approximately and I might get this number exactly wrong but it's about 30 percent of our community greenhouse gas emissions so it's actually quite significant and so little things that we can do in our home really help even things such as you know like reducing the amount of shower time because the energy it takes to heat the water all that kind of stuff so there's really those small actions but we take them collectively they're Big um, things like active transportation, like I'd mentioned before, is a big one. Or even taking public transportation instead of a car. We're also in the process of working on an electric vehicle strategy to try to encourage and hopefully get more um, infrastructure available for electric vehicles. Um, yeah, that's just so. Really, those are some of I guess of the high-level actions. And then, of course, everyday sustainability choices impact climate change. You know, if you're buying more local food, uh, that sort of stuff, um, reducing the amount of, you know, maybe meat you're eating because there's a higher greenhouse gas emissions and water input into producing that food. um, All those decisions, I think, really can make a big difference.
4: I did this class, Science, Technology, and Society. It was, like, science science, values and culture, and there's, like, a whole chapter on, like... um, just like uh this kind of mentality that like like everything will all add up but it's so easy to get like to lose that to to kind of forget that like your actions are contributing to this like mm-hmm. larger issue and just thinking like oh i'm just one person
3: Exactly. But if it's, you know, it's like a million, one people are Mm -hmm. doing that, right? That can make a big thing. Yeah. And then even on the kind of the resilient side of things, so not so much the reducing our greenhouse gas emissions, but what can we do to like kind of prepare ourselves? And really a lot of that is like, you know, it's it's things too, like resilience ties into a lot of different areas, including like emergency management. So it's things like maybe we all should have an emergency management kit in our home. Like could we sustain ourselves for like three days worth of water or something if- the water we no longer have potable water, that kind of yeah. stuff, and then it's also bigger actions like thinking about um, different types of stormwater management, like low impact development or rain gardens, um, that sort of stuff to help with our uh, flood mitigation or I guess stormwater retention. What's like rain garden? So I'm not an expert in rain gardens, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, we have some, you know, really good environmental engineers who are, and so it's something that you can basically design on your in your yard so that it will capture the rain oh, as opposed okay. to it just, you know, getting into the pervious surf, impervious surfaces. So it's a low impact development technique yeah. as well for stormwater management. And um, my personal lens, because it's my background, is really protecting our ecosystems and our ecological goods and services because we have these natural assets and if we can maintain those and protect those, maybe, they'll help us become more resilient to climate change. Yeah,
4: Yeah. uh, that kind of makes me think also just of like community connectedness as well.
3: That's a huge one. So exactly, like we always talk about like social resilience, right? And exactly that, like how can our neighborhoods and communities be resilient and how can we help people to be resilient and help our vulnerable populations and that sort of stuff and Mm -hmm. definitely I think community is a huge part of that. Actually in this strategy we're developing that's we have eight different kind of asset service themes we're calling them and one of those our themes is people and that includes community and culture and food and agriculture and public health and safety. So we're trying to really make sure that we touch on on all of those different issues and the good thing is, is a lot of cities have really been leading the way in climate change work so it's really we ha- there's a lot of resources that we can kind of tap into for that
2: that's awesome so, yeah.
4: yeah.
3: yeah the more we can
2: you know work together like as cities and then mm-hmm. as like communities and everything I think it also yeah like you were saying like it's easy to just kind of you know go about your life and like not talk to your neighbors and like not do any of that and whatever and then like forget that there's kind of this network out there of of mm-hmm. people around you that mm-hmm. are all kind of you know working towards a lot of the same goals and affected by the same kinds of stuff especially when you th- think about like climate change and, and all of that like yeah if we can yeah tap into that yeah. community network and like yeah. remember that we're all kind of in it in Absolutely. it together
4: it's much easier for, like, movements, like, um, I guess in regards to, like, climate change and stuff to be, like, those grassroots movements because it's a lot more connected to, like, the people that are actually Mm -hmm. there instead of, like, federal legislation coming down and saying, oh, like, this, like, do this.
3: Yeah, and that's why I think, too, we have seen a lot of cities really taking... A big like lead on some of this is exactly that right it's like you can you know the local context you know the people you can actually make a local impact so
5: Mm -hmm. and especially
3: you know with climate change how it you know it all depends where you are and so if at a you know big federal level you know an impact like in Canada right an impact on the east coast will be very different than what we'll see in the prairie provinces so it's really nice when you can do it at the local level
4: so I just wanted to ask you a little bit more about the, like, City of Edmonton uh, climate
3: adaptation
4: um, strategy. <laughs> sure, strategy. Yeah, sure, There we go.
3: Yeah. So I guess... Um like I said, it's we're in the initial stages right now. So we've developed, we have a subject matter expert group that's working on on it. Um, we're really, we're at the stage right now of really looking at our potential future climate scenarios. And then from there, we'll be looking at any potential risks, vulnerabilities, and opportunities that Edmonton might see um, to, you know, specific time scales that are. And we're using the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC, their recommended best practices, their um general circulation models, they're, they're, they're RCPs, they're called, and I can't remember what the acronym stands for now, but it's the concentration <laughs> pathway, so the emissions pathways, basically. Um, and, yeah, we're looking at it from a broad community perspective. It's not just our internal city operations. Of course, we have stuff that we need to make sure is maintained in the event of an emergency or a long-term climate shifts that our citizens are able to still access goods and services but so looking at it from the broad schemes of um, water and sanitation so that includes potable water, water supply stormwater management, solid waste management, uh, transportation looking at it from our road, rail and our air um, transportations. So we've invited the Edmonton International Airport into our discussions. Um, we're looking at built environments, so all of our buildings, and that includes you know landscapes and that kind of stuff. We're looking at economy, uh, natural environments, and the people category I mentioned earlier, as well as emergency management, and energy and utilities, so that if you know we can make sure that we still get electricity and that sort of stuff as things happen. And so I'm not sure how familiar people are with climate change adaptation, I guess, but we're looking So we're looking at, you know, sudden shocks that could hit the city. So in Edmonton, you know, that could be things like an interface fire where a wildfire has reached our urban boundaries, or it could be localized flooding from a really severe rainstorm or a hail event. And we're also looking at those longer-term um, stresses, we're calling them. So things like a long-extended drought, or is there going to be a shift in ecosystems and invasive species patterns, um, that sort of stuff. And a lot of that terminology actually comes from an organization called the 100 Resilient Cities. And they're a Rockefeller and Bloomberg foundation. And they're really, they have 100 cities that are in this organization. We're not one of them, but we can still tap in some of the resources. And they're really um, paving the way, I guess, on this urban resilience front. So, and I should say too, like it's, we're really, you know, our um, in 2015, our mayor signed on to this thing called the Global Covenant of Mayors for Climate and Energy, which is, I forget how many mayors around the world are signed on to it, but that also supports the work for climate change mitigation and adaptation, and we have a, a council initiative with two council sponsors for that as well. So our council is really, you know, respects this work, I guess, or, so that that's a really positive thing too
4: I was also just thinking as you were like saying those things um I heard this and I don't know if it's true but um with like slightly higher than average temperatures than we had before we can grow more corn here is that true do you know
3: I honestly don't know. Okay. I yeah, we ha- unfortunately we haven't gotten into the detailed mm-hmm. analyses yeah. of that kind of stuff yet, yeah. but I do know that it's like I guess it would depend on the moisture regime uh, and all that stuff yeah, too. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm honestly not sure, but that's something we want to look at actually. Is mm-hmm. are those opportunities, right? Like if with the yeah. changing climate maybe there is a different crop we can grow or that that sort of thing. Right. So
2: yeah. More corn. More biofuel. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Cool. Maybe, um yeah.
2: I guess, like, I just wanted, uh, when thinking about like all this stuff, like, I think it's easy to like sort of fall into like pessimism when you see like stuff like um, the states pulling out of the Paris Accord, and just be like, it can feel really overwhelming. So I wanted to um, kind of uh, end on a note of like what you see in your work that like kind of, or even just in your day to day life, like that give, really gives you hope for progress on environmental issues in the face of the sort of political
3: climate right now you're right that it is really easy to get pessimistic and kind of overwhelmed at like the enormity of it but I think for me what is really inspiring is you know I work with a lot of really inspired people and people who really want to make a big difference and that is you know really great to be surrounded by every day um, I think too there are some political leaders that um there are a lot of political leaders that are, want to do the right thing, I guess, and that are really looking to really stay strong um, on environmental issues and climate change, which I think is a little bit you know, of a shift, maybe, from where it has been. And, yeah, there are some leaders that aren't on that, but I think globally it almost seems like there's been a bit of a rally around it, even just you know, seeing the people on social media and that sort of thing that are really upset and protesting, it makes me feel like there is that community driving it. Um, yeah, I think that's the main thing. And and then focusing just on those, you know, the fact that the, all those mayors in the states signed on to it after, you know, their federal leadership pulled out, I think is really inspiring. And a lot of other countries around the world that have said they're staying committed, even though one of the big powers pulled out, I think is a really um inspiring thing.
2: Yeah, I read this
3: good Gwyn Dyer article that made
2: me feel a lot better about I mean this was before he even pulled out of the Paris Accord, but it was just kind of talking like about it prospectively. But um yeah, just kind of talking about like how how much real damage like, you know, the current United States administration can can do. In a global scale, when everything else seems to be moving forward, and like other global leaders seem to be pushing forward anyway, and like China is making big commitments now and like stuff like that, and like how Trump alone cannot you know keep um coal going when there's lots of reasons that coal isn't you know is is sort of falling as an industry, and things like that like and there is a lot of other commit like people who are committed to
3: mm-hmm. yeah. Um, you know, the good fight, fighting the good fight. Yeah, and he's <laughs> yeah. people talking yeah. about it. It's, too, yeah, that's really is, true. Is, if anyone is, is interested, I guess just stay tuned and you can follow us on Twitter at GreenYag.
4: Awesome. That sounds really cool. I'm like kind of uh, excited to um, see what the strategy starts to look like as it, um, as it progresses.
3: On that note too, I should say that Um, speaking of the global context that actually in March of 2018 Edmonton is really excited we're really happy to be the host city and we're inviting the world to the first ever intergovernmental panel on climate change cities and climate change science conference so that'll be happening in Edmonton uh, in March 2018 so I think that's a really 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 positive thing for us as a city and also just for everyone and for this uh, type of this field basically it's exciting so stay tuned for <laughs> that yeah. as well that's really exciting yeah that's yeah. that's great that's we'll definitely cool. have to cover cool. that
2: yeah
4: yeah we, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah Terran Forma will be there yes. um <laughs> me too. yeah thanks so so much uh danielle for talking
3: to us well thank you guys for having me it was great
4: all right yeah, it's been awesome <laughs> signing off <laughs> thank
6: you <laughs>
1: That was Amanda Rooney and Charlie Blay speaking to Danielle Koliak, an environmental project manager with the City of Edmonton. Energy usage in
0: medical facilities is highly intensive. In fact, hospitals expend about twice as much total energy per square foot as traditional office space. Here's an interview conducted by Climate Radio about climate change mitigation within the healthcare industry.
5: The healthcare industry has a critical role to play in climate change mitigation. Global Green and Health Hospitals GGH is a network that brings together hospitals, health systems and health organizations from around the world under the shared goal of reducing the environmental footprint of the health sector and contributing to improved public and environmental health. We caught up with Nick Thorpe, the global community manager of Gigi H here at COP22, and he explains what they are doing to improve public and environmental health.
7: My name is Nick Thorpe and I work for an NGO called Healthcare Without Harm we work around the world to transform the health sector so that it reduces its environmental and climate footprint and is a leading voice in promoting health, environment, and climate issues. So we have uh, launched a program called the 2020 Healthcare Climate Challenge which challenges the health sector to clean its own house, to reduce its own environmental and climate footprint, to develop in a way that uses low-carbon models of care, and to prepare for a changing climate, and to really be united as a global health sector, for example, here at the COP, to advocate for policies that protect human health, protect the environment. So at the Mohammed Six University in Marrakesh, this is a hospital that uh, they are using solar panels on their roofs to provide electricity for their buildings. Um, they're launching a new program to use solar power for hot water heating. Uh, they use geothermal energy as well to augment their energy sources and so it's a it's a nice example of a way that they're tapping into renewable energy sources to use clean energy to power their hospitals and to reduce their carbon footprint and the emissions that they have so we work with hospitals of all sizes both small rural hospitals large urban hospitals in, in all parts of the world to promote the proper segregation of waste from healthcare waste and also the pro- proper treatment of it um, so, the segregation is an important point to be able to recycle certain pieces, um, to process pieces that are hazardous in a way that doesn't have environmental footprints. In the past, in the US, for example, they burned a lot of healthcare waste which releases dioxins and other chemicals that have negative impacts on human health into the environment. It's a, it's a bit of a paradox. And we promote clean treatment of, uh, of healthcare waste using autoclaving, which is a high steam temperature, to ensure that the contaminants or the, the biohazardous pieces of it are, are properly sterilized and that those can be properly disposed of in that way.
5: Sonia Roshnik, the Executive Director, Global Green and Health Hospitals, says that healthcare should be more creating and not damaging health with its environmental
6: footprints. I'm Sonia Roshnik and I'm a non-executive director for Healthcare Without Harm based in Europe. We would like healthcare really to be more creating of health rather than damaging health because of its environmental footprint. So we're also calling on all health professionals to take a role in what they might do about this. You know, they are caring for their patients but they can care for the planet at the same time. Um, And, you know, that's quite an important message. We think that if they were able to speak with a louder voice, people would listen, might recycle more, look after their waste better, sort out their energy efficiency. So there's a lot to be done. I think in Africa, we've got some great examples where there might be clinics who haven't had any energy at all. And with having renewable energy, it means that they actually can have access to energy and be much more resilient in the face of climate change. So, you know, we are demonstrating, really, that you can not only adapt to climate change, but you can mitigate against some of the carbon emissions and actually have a much better solution for everybody. So it's good for health, it's good for the environment, and... Um, you know, and it's good for the people in the community. So that's what we're trying to promote and we've got some great examples around Africa to, to illustrate that. I mean, I know in Rwanda where there's a lot of um, the hospitals and the clinics are being fed with um, renewable energy, with solar power. There's also cold um, chains that are being used through solar energy to make sure that we're keeping the temperature cold of um, you know, vaccines um, as they travel from place to place without having to use electricity. It makes them much more flexible, more resilient, um cleaner it means that we're not polluting the environment um, and we're trying to you know strengthen the capacity of the health systems so so we um we are trying to work a lot with um you know medical professionals as well as all the people who work in the states and facilities and buildings and who look after the you know the, you know, the environmental footprint and um, because the doctors have a huge role to play they're the ones who are prescribing medicines who know who can influence what their patients might do so um, a lot of the um, Medical associations are starting to take this seriously. They're starting to say that they you know that if we don't look after the environment it's going to impact on health and that also as a health sector, we've also got our own responsibility to improve the environment. I think there's a lot of doctors and nurses who are not as aware of it as they should be. So we've still got our work cut out to try and, you know, bring them along with us to do a lot more. And I think, you know, events like COP22 here in Marrakesh are excellent to try and help promote that. We've just come out of a meeting with a minister of health and ministers of environment you know where they've just declared that they're going to work together to start raising awareness even more and um, start acting together on a program of work so we think the momentum is there and we just need to build it and scale it up everywhere now
5: With the launch of the 2020 Healthcare Climate Challenge at the Paris Climate Conference in 2015, the GIGI-H Network is increasingly working to mobilize healthcare to reduce its own carbon footprint, become more climate resilient, and exert leadership to help every society transition to a low-carbon energy future. Ndagire Laila, Climate Radio, Morocco.
1: Thanks, Climate Radio, for that awesome piece. Before we go, here's this week's edition of What's Happening.
0: Do you enjoy the strange mix of nature, technology, and science? Biomimicry Alberta is hosting a two-day workshop in Edmonton on June 24th and 25th. The workshop will explore strategies from the natural world and investigate how they can inform human design and technology. The weekend will include providing a broad introduction to the concept of biomimicry with a focus on the insect world. This workshop is intended for students and professionals from any discipline and background interested in design and sustainability. Register for the workshop at www.biomimicryalberta.ca.
1: That's all for this week's show. Thanks for listening. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to our contributors, Amanda Rooney, Charlie Blay, Climate Radio, and Nat Hontar. We've been your hosts,
0: Robin Curry and Lauren Carter. Catch you next week for more environmental news.